It's the Asian Boxing Podcast with Scott and Colin. Asianboxing.info is the website. Thank you so much for making us a part of your day. We hope you're enjoying it. I know I am. Scott, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm not at work on Monday. Bank holiday. So yeah, I'm good. Wow. What's the holiday for? Uh, no idea. Uh, national holiday just because people don't want to go to work one day, I mentioned. A holiday is a holiday. Take advantage of it so you have a three-day weekend. It's been a while, actually, since we've talked, so let's start with Casemiro and all that is going on surrounding him. He had one of the most boring fights of all time against Guillermo Rigondeaux, and I, I guess we shouldn't be shocked, but, you know, I thought Casemiro, you're supposed to be a knockout guy, maybe cut the ring off a little bit better. He couldn't hit him. Guillermo Rigondeaux was just running around on his bike all day. What would you make of that fight? I thought it was a fight where neither guy um, managed to get the game plan into action. We can all say that Casemiro should have cut the ring down. He's fighting a 42-year-old, and he should have been more aggressive. But Rigondeaux was a counter puncher, but didn't counter punch. Rigondeaux was this master puncher, but couldn't land himself. It was just two guys who neutralized each other. Um and ended up giving us an absolute stinker. The one interesting thing was in the very first round where um, Casemiro sort of smacked around Rigondeaux as he bent around down the waist. And uh, I don't know if it was a knockdown or whatever, but that was that was a highlight, and it came after about a minute. One highlight in the entire fight. The rest, uh, Rigondeaux on his bike. Not a memorable one at all, and I... I just don't see Rigondeaux ever getting back in the ring because fight fans don't want to see that. And, and you're paying for, for fights where he's just running around. Not worth it. Uber talented guy. I understand two-time Olympian uh, has a couple of good, good pro wins, including one against Nonito Donaire. But other than that, a pretty disappointing career for Guillermo Rigondeaux, considering how much of a talent he really is. Yeah, um, and he's a perfect example of talent not being everything in boxing. He just completely lacked the mental attitude for professional boxing. Fantastic natural talent, fantastic boxer, fantastic mover, brilliant puncher, great speed. Just didn't have what it needs, what he needed inside his head. Um, really poor decision making throughout his entire career. How he completely messed up on um, the bouts that. Gary Hyde made uh, with Shingo Wake, uh, why he stayed with Karibe after that, how he destroyed relationships with Bob Arum and Frank Warren. The guy's his own worst enemy, and it's hard to feel sorry for someone who's doing their own career. Let's move over to Casemiro because he has options still, obviously. Uh, he has the belt, and a couple guys might want a piece of him. I know that Naoya Inoue does. I mean, we've seen Inoue being the most vocal uh, I think we've ever seen in his career, posting on Twitter, uh, talking about how he wants to stop Casemiro. And you can't blame him after Casemiro flips him off on, on live TV. Yeah, you can certainly see why Inoue wants him. Um, it's the illogical bout to make. Uh, boxing never gives us the logical ones. Um, but I think uh, Casemiro may have a mandatory against Paul Butler. And yes, I know we're all dying to see that one right now. Um, I think Casemiro, before he faces Inuit, 
does need that big showcase belt. He needs a big performance after that absolute stinker against Rigandau. Um I'd like to see Inua versus Dunair rematch first and Casemiro perhaps on the undercard uh, and then build from that. But after the Rigandau fight, it's hard to get excited about a Casemiro fight right now. Yeah, I know there is some news coming down too about Casemiro Donair possibly being back on. Uh, that just doesn't make sense to me though because it seemed like Donair just didn't want to give Casemiro his fight after after the disrespect that he showed Donair. Yeah, it's again it's about that makes a lot of sense, but you also see that Donair is kind of like, no, you wouldn't take drug tests, you didn't send him to this in time, you. Uh, Slayer, my wife, and I think Dana is one of those classy guys that will only really fight guys who show a lot of respect for him. Whereas Casemiro is just, he gets people talking about being a loudmouth. And I can see that perhaps not working well with Dana. Um, whilst anyone may buy it, I don't think Dana will. Dana has integrity, he's a classy guy, and he has morals, and he's going to stick to those those morals. You know, Inoue has been quiet up to this point, but I really think the whole spectacle of, of what Casemiro did after the fight um, to Inoue, I, I, I think that really pushed him over the edge, and, and now he wants to teach him a lesson. Yeah, I also think the WBC have got a really weird situation with mandatories right now, and it could keep Gunnar uh, busy for a while. Uh, but again, it's the WBC, they just make up the rules as they go along. All these sanctioning bodies getting in the way of, of what we want to see, and it is frustrating. Um, let's let's jump over to this past weekend where we saw the legendary Manny Pacquiao, uh, possibly in his last fight. I ordered this on pay per view, shelled out, um, or my, my my pops shelled out the seventy five bucks just to to watch Pacquiao because we thought, hey, this might be the last time. We get to see the great Manny Pacquiao. And unfortunately, you can tell he's slowed down. He's older. Um, Even even from the point of his last fight against Keith Thurman, he's slowed down. And and that's what two years does to a a 40-year-old going from 40 to 42. But all things considered, you know, for a 42-year-old, still moving around decently well. It certainly wasn't prime Pacquiao. It wasn't the Pacquiao we saw beat Thurman or Bronner or any of the guys later in his career either. But I think Ugas may well have had his number regardless. Ugas a bit like Mayweather, a bit like Marquez, is a technical guy. He knows his way around the ring. He knows how to use his jab, knows how to land. I think that would always cause Pacquiao issues. Yes, this is a shadow of the Pacquiao that we all fell in love with, but Ugas perhaps always had the tools to deal with um, even a prime Pacquiao. Very impressive performance from Ugas, who I believe actually beat Sean Porter as well um, in, in their fight. Very, very technical, like you said, and very calculated. And He knew what exactly he was doing. You mentioned that jab, kept Pacquiao on, on the end of that, and then kept him honest with that big right that's kind of kind of a corkscrewing right. Pretty, pretty tricky to defend that too. So you're right. I think that even if Pacquiao was... A little bit younger, Ugas probably still would have had his number. Now, now, if we go to prime Pacquiao, I don't know about that, but uh, a very impressive performance from Ugas, and I think it, it 
catapult him into a, a couple of other big fights that he can he can get into. But you know what can you say about Pacquiao? Just an incredible uh, career, and uh, if he does um, hang him up after this fight, uh, he has to go down as one of the greatest. Yeah, I think he has already put his name well within the conversation for the greatest. Um, and I think it's great that Ugas, he took the fight in short notice, has lined himself up for a Spence fight, a Crawford fight. It's great that he took the opportunity in short notice and really made the most of it. Well done to the Cuban. On the undercard of this, Scott, this was the most entertaining bout on pay-per-view. Mark Magsayo with a huge knockout. This was a hell of a fight against Julio Seja. Um, Magsayo had the perfect start. He dropped Seja within about 30 seconds. Uh, it looked like he was going to get a really quick blowout over the Mexican. And then Seja just pounded the snot out of him for uh, most of the next sort of nine rounds. Uh, dropped him in round five. I looked on the verge of a stoppage. Magsayo grutted it out. Um, really featured his toughness and his... His will to win, and then it's got a sensational knockout in round 10. I think the knockout kind of covered up just how poor Magsayo looked. And whilst it's the win and the win will be important, the knockout was high real. It showed Magsayo isn't a world class fighter, at least in my eyes. Um, he's really going to struggle when he starts taking on world class featherweights. Yeah, wasn't he uh, calling out Gary Russell Jr.? I don't know. After after this fight, he might want to slow down just a bit and work his way up to a guy like Gary Russell. I think this wasn't a for uh, Gary Russell, but yeah, it'd be a mistake for Magsayo to take that opportunity now. He needs another two, three fights against world-class featherweights. Seha, what's very good, uh, is now a world-class super bantamweight who is very much fitted for us now. Entertaining fighter, though, Magsayo and... and- he has a bright future, like you said, if he can adjust some of the things that he does, because he does have that knockout power. He has knockout power. He has a lovely technical ability, um, really good hand speed, really good boxing brain. He just, I don't think he has the work rate or the stamina um, to really fight at the highest level. He has tools that are exceptional, but he's missing certain parts of his game. He's very negative at times. Um he lets punch bully him around. We saw it against Seha here. I think we saw it last year as well against uh, Rigoberto Hermosillo. Um, I think we saw it against Shota Hayashi a few years ago as well. He's just perhaps a little bit too easy to bully around. It's the Asian Boxing Podcast, asianboxing.info. Scott, uh, boxing in Japan, at least it's been a little slow. Uh, we know the Olympics just ended. By the way, congratulations to the, the Japanese boxing team, the Filipino boxing team, China. Uh, one of their women came away with a boxing medal. So a, a good showing from Asian boxers in the Olympics. Of course, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, they did their thing. Um, but we do have a couple of Japanese fighters, a couple pro-Japanese fighters who are going to uh, have a couple of title fights. Let's start off with Kazuto Aoka versus Francisco Rodriguez. I like this matchup. I think this is a brilliant matchup. Um, it's just a disappointment. It's Aoka's third successive mandatory since 
uh, winning the WBR Super Fight title in June 2019. He faced heaviest in Tron, Kota Tanaka, and now Rodriguez in back-to-back mandatories. Although, in fairness, they are all really good fights. Rodriguez at his prime um, beat Melito Sabio, beat Katsunari Takeyama in an amazing fight that everyone needs to go and watch. I'm not sure whether he is a fully-fledged super flyweight. He's in a good winning run, but again, I'm not sure whether, whether he is at this weight really that that comfortable. But Ayoka, on the back of the Kosei Tanaka fight, looks probably better than ever. He needs a big fight next, but this is a fantastic stay-busy mandatory. It's exactly what we want, and it's one of those Japan versus Mexico bouts that we all know and love. Super flyweight right now, just on fire. In my opinion, the best weight class right now in boxing. Um, and really, there's just so many superstars in this class. And even the guys who are kind of on the fringe, we saw uh, Joshua Franco fight Andrew Maloney. That was a war. That was their third fight. So all the fights are being made. Of course, Chocolatito, Estrada, we're going to see that again. Uh, do you think Ioka gets a big fight at, if he can win this against an Estrada or a Chocolatito or a Srisket Sorongvasai? I want to say yes, but them three are in this weird, along with Kudras, in this weird WBC merry-go-round that I swear will never end. Uh, Estrada, Gonzalez, Srisket and Kudras, I think have been, one of them has been involved in every WBC title fight going back home seven or eight years now is just one face of the other face of the other um which is the reason why Inoue never stayed in the division he couldn't get a shot at that WBC title which was Gonzalez's um, I don't think they wanted to give him a shot because they didn't want to see him yeah it's the hell with me but then you do have uh Johnny Nietes and Hiro and has hanging on the division I think Ayaka versus either of those Filipinos has to be a potential matchup for the next year Rematch against Nietas, that fight was razor thin, so I, I wouldn't mind that. And uh, you mentioned Ancajas, another uh, rising star in this division. So, like we said, just the stacked, stacked super flyweight division. Really fun to watch right now. Yeah, it's got everything. It's got technicians, it's got power, it's got aggression. Um, I think the only division that really gives it a run for its money right now is Super Bantamweight, which is just on fire. Both beautiful divisions to watch, and, and really it's the lighter weights that are giving us all the fights while we wait for uh, Joshua to fight Fury. <laughs> you know, all, all the, the heavyweights and the welterweights, those guys aren't fighting, but it's the lower weight classes that are making the big fights. Yeah, and they're all really well matched. They've all got different styles. It's what's making these divisions so compelling. Is they're, not just, they're not just fighting each other, but they're showing different parts of boxing um, when they face each other as well. Uh, let's stay in those lighter weight divisions. Big world flyweight title. Junto Nakatani, one of my favorites. Tall, lanky southpaw going up against Angela Costa, the knockout artist. And this is uh, this is going to happen nine days after the Kazuto Ioka fight. Uh, but it's here in America. Junto Nakatani right now actually in, in my neck of the woods here in Los Angeles. What do you think about this fight, Scott? I'm really excited about this. I think um, Acosta, we've also seen Acosta, um, exciting guy, big puncher. 
uh, his fight with Kosa Tanaka was really good. His title loss a couple of years ago against Owen Soto was really exciting. He's dangerous, but I think Nakatani sees this as his chance to become a star. I think the Japanese guy has the knowledge that this is a massive opportunity to shine. And I think we'll see the very, very best in Nakatani here. I wouldn't be surprised if he stops Acosta. I'm impressed with this being the the fight directly after him securing his first world title. Sometimes you'll see a little bit of a lull after you grab that world title. You want a couple of defenses under your belt. But he, he gets that title against Magramo. And that was about a year ago, actually, right? Yeah, and then... Next fight, Angel Acosta, knockout artist. I'm with you. I think he has too many tools against Acosta, but this is a dangerous fight for for your fight directly after you secure that belt. A bit like Ayaka versus Rodriguez, it's a mandatory that's really exciting. It's not a gimme mandatory like we keep seeing from uh, the IBF, for example, but it's about where the champion should be furthered. But it's not a gimme. It's a really, really good matchup. And I think it's really smart that Anakatani's team were so happy to travel as well for it. Especially with the situation with COVID in Japan right now, um, which is horrific. It's um, Ayaka versus Rodriguez won't have fans. So to see Nakatani having fans at his belt will be fantastic here. That's what mandatory should be. They should be challenging. They should have championship fighters not some guy who it's like oh he went from being ranked 25th to now he's he's ranked number one what wow what a jump he made uh it should have championship type fighters and i i can't wait for this one uh, not nakatani against acosta if i was not working i would have tried to make my way over to tucson arizona to to watch this fight that's that's how much of a fan i am of, of junto Nakatani. Well, it's the Asian Boxing Podcast right now with Scott and Colin. Thank you so much for making us a part of your day wherever you may be. We appreciate you. And Scott, let's get into some of the news that's swirling around the Asian boxing world. And unfortunately, it's not good news. A lot of COVID going around with different boxers. Yeah, a lot of COVID going around. Um Ricky Naito, for example, has had a bout, uh, bout with COVID recently that forced his OPBF title defense against Koichi Asa, um, set for September 18th to be cancelled. Uh, this entire card has now just been scrapped, um, which included Yusaka Kuga versus Ryuichi Tamura 3, uh, which Given the first few bouts, I was really excited about. And thankfully, that has already been, re- been rearranged for October 2nd. Um, at the moment, Naito versus Asso is still in a state of flux, given Naito is still suffering. He's not out of the woods, and um, it's really unclear as to when he can get back to training. We've had... Murajan Akhmedaliev also cancelled about on September 18th, I believe, against Ronnie Rios, where he was meant to be defending his title in a mandatory. And most recently, we've had Ken Shiro had to pull out of his belt with Masamichi Yabuki, set for September 10th due to 
um, Kenshiro having COVID. So COVID has really ripped the boxing schedule apart for September. Uh, yeah, definitely a difficult situation right now, just across the entire world as we continue to fight this pandemic, uh, praying for all three of those guys that they make full recoveries. And yeah, it's just tough too when you're trying to make fights, uh, when, when these things get in the way, and it, it hurts careers as well as you're trying to jump up that ladder. Um, Scott, also a fight was announced today um, between Fukunaga and Kaiji. Hayate Kaji versus uh, Ryuji Fukunaga will be taking place on the same card as tomorrow versus Kuga in October. And that will be for the OPBF, WBO Asia Pacific and Japanese Super Flyweight titles. Kaji has long been touted as something a bit special, but has been underwhelming recently. I'm of the idea that he has just been unmotivated by some of his opponents recently. Uh, years ago, he was apparently going to war with Shinsuke Yamanaka in sparring, and Taika had really high hopes for him. Fukunaga, on the other hand, is a huge puncher, absolute brute. And if Kaji tries to overlook Fukunaga, he's going to get punished big time. Uh, a really interesting matchup. Maybe not one that's going to get much attention internationally, but a really, really exciting fight. I mean, at least there are a couple fights uh, coming up. I know it's been a little slow, but hopefully as we move towards uh, the end of the year, that's when things will kick up, especially in Japan. Yeah, the, really, perhaps the, the strangest news from Japan, uh, well, I was on the subject of it, is the Champion Carnival Awards for the last two years been put together, and the winners for that have been announced today, with the MVP being Hinata Maruta, the Japanese featherweight champion who hasn't been seen since he beat Ryo Sagawa for the title back in February. Where is Maruta? Damn it, get him in the ring. And he still won the award. Yeah, yeah he won the award for knocking out Sagawa uh, when he challenged Sagawa for the title as a mandatory. And it's just a real shame that we've not seen him since because he is up there with the best featherweights in the world and it's a shame he's not getting a chance to show it. It's the Asian Boxing Podcast, asianboxing.info. Scott and Colin, thank you so much for joining us today. Hopefully, we uh, start to see some fights being made as we move closer and closer to the end of the year. If you like Asian boxing, make sure to go to the website, asianboxing.info. Scott does a phenomenal job keeping you up to date on all that's going on around the world of Asian boxing, and if you like videos, if you like this podcast, if you want to read different articles about it, it's all on the website, asianboxing.info. But until next time, we will talk to you later.